0: I would like to talk to you at length. I would like to listen to you and know what you think about yourselves and the world. But the time I have been given is so short. Who feel the need for healing, the need for love, the need for a friend, for Christ? Perhaps I love you more. Living the Legacy An Exploration of the Charisms of Blessed John Paul II with Sister Bernadette Pike. Hi, you're listening to Cradio. This is Sister Bernadette Pike from the John Paul II Sisters in Perth. And we're in the process of going through a series of talks on the spirit of John Paul II. This is the ninth talk. And we're in the process of looking at practical expressions or features of John Paul II's charism, his way of being. And we turn now to look at the whole concept of entering into dialogue. In referring to the Church's mission in the world in Redemptor Hominis, the first encyclical that the Holy Father wrote, he mentions that in carrying out this mission, there is an urgent need for the Church to both direct her attention to the other and then also to enter into dialogue. One of the professors that I met with in Poland um, while I was over there receiving formation, who was a very good friend of um, was and continued to meet with him uh, even when he was a Pope and collaborate with him, was Professor Jerzy Janik. He's a beautiful old man who was so generous with his time with us and shared, he didn't know us from a bar of soap and we had this beautiful cup of tea with him and he really opened up and shared with us. It was just lovely. And one of the things that he taught us was that he said, Karol Wojtyla was a master at creating dialogue. So, and that this is actually really important. The Holy Father says this is really what is very important at the moment for the church to learn. And, and when he says dialogue, what he means is getting to know each other and removing obstacles, blocking the way to perfect unity. That was his definition of it in Redemptor Hominis at 31. And he said, in, even in response, the dialogue was part of his response to even the most difficult problems that have been facing the world. For example, in response to the imposition of martial law in Poland on December 13th, the Holy Father said, These problems, which are certainly difficult ones, cannot be solved by the use of violence. Hence my appeal and my request, it is necessary to return to the way of renewal constructed with the method of dialogue in respect for the rights of every man and of every citizen. So so many of the Holy Father's documents relate to dialogue, and I'd be here all day if I was quoting all the different occasions where he encouraged us to enter into dialogue as a way of moving towards solidarity and unity with other people. What was this dialogue like for the Holy Father in relation to his work with people from other faiths many people criticized him because they thought that when he entered into dialogue with them he should have been trying to convert them he should he should have done more work to teach them the error of their ways but you see this was not the approach of john paul ii he his purpose for entering into dialogue was to build solidarity was to build that relationship. And he trusted that if that was a a prayerful dialogue, that the Holy Spirit would be at work and the Holy Spirit would speak to that person. Yes, of course, he spoke the truth at particular times, but his priority was to focus the attention on God. So even at his big meeting of prayer in Assisi, he said that, that the idea was for all of them, with all their differences of opinion, to come together and to focus on what they had in common, to focus on the, the object of their love, to focus on God and to pray for peace. So, yeah, I can't emphasize enough. We, we, we're we not saying that we stop speaking the truth, and we'll come to that again later, that we do. a Part of this dialogue is learning to present the truth in a courageous and articulate and relevant way. But... What we're saying here is the the purpose really or the, the first priority in the dialogue is to simply enter into relationship and to build a foundation. So one of the first things that the Holy Father did when he was starting to establish a relationship with someone or with people of a particular country is he would affirm what is good beginning with their very humanity. So it's not only the dignity of the person that he would be affirming but also other qualities about the person or the country. After a visit to Africa, he expressed his esteem for those special values that Africa has to offer the world. The necessity of safeguarding the spiritual heritage, the extraordinary richness of sensitivity to religious realities was affirmed, as well as the need to protect traditions within their African warmth and identity. Similarly, in a message to Europe, he said, I cry to you with love, ancient Europe, find yourself again, be yourself, discover your origins, revive your roots, return to those authentic values that made your history a glorious one, and your presence so beneficial to other continents. Reconstruct your one spiritual unit in a climate of full respect for the other religions and any genuine freedom. So, constantly when he's speaking to them he's identifying what are the what are the gifts that that are there what can i affirm and this is a good practice for us to get into the habit of too even with our own family members who we we all think we know back to front to be able to just affirm when we see in them something that is very good or to bring back memories if, if, it, if we're relating to them it brings back a memory of something else that they did very good I was very blessed because I grew up in a family where my mum did this habitually so if if you were in a conversation or talking with someone else my mum would very often be affirming something good that her children did or she was my mum has a real gift at doing that just very very naturally and the Holy Father did this as part of this dialogue and establishing a relationship with people the next point we want to make about this dialogue is the importance of finding what already unites us, what we share in common with another person. This is true especially of someone that we find difficulty, who holds opposing views, the kind of people normally that we'd rather withdraw from and not spend time with. Pope John 23rd said at the Second Vatican Council, What separates us as believers in Christ from, he, he's talking now about other faiths that have separated from the Catholic Church, is much less than what unites us. So there is a, John Paul II says in Crossing the Threshold of Hope, so there is a basis for dialogue and for the growth of unity, a growth that should occur at the same rate at which we are able to overcome our divisions, divisions that to a great degree result from the idea that one can have a monopoly on truth. He continues, it is necessary therefore to rid ourselves of stereotypes, of old habits and above all it is necessary to recognize the unity that already exists. So in order to build that unity we have to confront the reality of the, the differences between us, not necessarily in opinion but in terms of the, the differences within us about accepting that other person in all of their humanity and all of their gift that they are to me, the discrepancy that there is within myself first, and learn to really embrace them. In Crossing the Threshold of Hope, he says, I will attempt to show the common fundamental element and the common root of these religions. And in doing so, he quotes Nostra Aetete. I should really learn how to pronounce that word too. (laughs) I'm sorry to all the people out there who know Latin. I'm not very good at Latin yet. So he he quotes this document and he says, there is only one community and it consists of all people. They have only one origin and they have one ultimate destiny. In Redemptor Hominis, in focusing on this, he also says, when looking at what we share in common, creative restlessness beats and pulsates what is most deeply human, the search for truth, the insatiable need for the good, hunger for freedom, nostalgia for the beautiful, and the voice of conscience. In another place, in The Way to Christ, he says, we also share in common this need for fulfillment. So we can, when we're with someone who's very, very difficult and we would prefer really not to be with them, we can cast our mind especially leading up to that particular meeting, not trying to do it in the moment, but before we meet with someone to be able to say, okay, what, is, what do we have in common between the two of us? So not just what is this person's dignity all about so that I can try and love them, but actually what is in common already that lays a foundation for us to be in relationship. Cardinal Javish said of John Paul II, that, as he would often put it, the first step was to promote union in feeling, then union in deed. So if, if he could, if he had presidents come and visit him, or people from other religions, he he knew that it was important that that person felt accepted, that that person felt a sense of belonging, a sense of connectedness. That for any good to come after that, that this was a necessary first step. Okay, and so in this um, section on dialogue, we've just got a, a couple more points that we want to make. the The next point is the one we've kind of been touching on but not coming to specifically, and that is the necessity to be ready to speak the truth. In order to be able to do this, we need to know Christ and to know our faith. We need to know the truth. We mentioned before when we were going through the way of being with other people, this idea of the heuristic method, trying to help the other person to discover the truth. But at some point in that, we also need to be ready to as we said, to provide the gospel message, the good news, to the questions of their heart when they can't come to that discovery of themselves. It's not enough just to say, okay, I'm open to the Holy Spirit at this particular moment. We have to take responsibility for actually forming our conscience and learning our faith beforehand, and not just in an um, intellectual way, but to um, to to have a faith that, believes in the fullness of revelation, in Christ and all that he has revealed through faith and reason in various disciplines in the history of man. So our reason and our conscience has been formed and we've acquired knowledge that we um, also have integrated within us. So it's not just something that we know, but it's actually become something that we've put into practice and has become part of who we are. So once, once we, and we're doing this on an ongoing basis, obviously we're never fully ready to go. You can never, you know, I've read the catechism, okay, I'm ready to go. No, we're, we're constantly learning. The heritage of faith, the treasure of the heritage of faith that is there is extraordinary. It's something that we're always learning about. But, but it is really important for us to know that if I want to be able to share this with other people... That formation of my own conscience and of my own understanding of the faith is an ongoing responsibility for me. We also have to keep in mind that all men have the right to hear about Christ, their Saviour. It's not just a privileged thing or a luxury for Christians who just, you know, happen to choose that. The Holy Father said, nowadays the call to conversion which missionaries address to non-Christians is put into question or passed over in silence. It's seen as an act of proselytizing. It's claimed that it's enough to help people become more human or more faithful to their own religion. That it is enough to build communities capable of working for justice, freedom, peace and solidarity. What is overlooked, the Holy Father said, is that every person has the right to hear the good news of God, who reveals and gives himself in Christ, so that each one can live out in its fullness his or her proper calling. This lofty reality is expressed in the words of Jesus to the Samaritan woman, If you knew the gift of God, and in the unconscious but ardent desire of the woman, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst. Close quote. If we think we can relate to other people and that that's going to be enough that we, that we don't offer them this water of life that they're thirsting for, then we're, our relationships are going to be empty and they're not going to have the life that the other person is really yearning for. And in terms of this necessity of preaching our Saviour and his good news, the Holy Father quotes St. Paul, who he obviously felt very close to, If I preach the gospel, that gives me no grounds for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, St. Paul says, in the first letter to the Corinthians. Following this, in Redemptor Missio, Blessed John Paul II wrote, In the name of the whole church, I sense an urgent duty to repeat this cry of St. Paul. From the beginning of my pontificate, I have chosen to travel to the ends of the earth, In order to show this missionary concern, my direct contact with peoples who do not know Christ has convinced me even more of the urgency of missionary activity. Now, I'm not sure if I'm going to get an opportunity to talk more about the community, but this is really at the heart of what the missionaries of the gospel... So the community I belong to is John Paul Two Sisters, but the John Paul Two Sisters are part of the missionaries of the gospel which is at the umbrella group, including hopefully one day brothers and priests and lay people. So the missionaries of the gospel generally are all about this, are about taking to the corners of the earth, the Christ and his saving message, his good news the gospel of his good news. And we follow John Paul II's example in the way that he did this. So, what I'm conveying to you is his his great desire and his enthusiasm to preach Christ and the Saviour. But having said this, I want also to note a reflection here that John Paul II made on his approach towards the end of his life. He questioned whether he perhaps should have been more direct in his admonitions. I quote, "'Admonition is another responsibility that certainly forms part of a pastor's role.' I think that in this regard I did too little. There is always a problem in achieving a balance between authority and service. Maybe I should have been more assertive. I think this is partly a matter of my temperament, yet it could also be related to the will of Christ, who asked his apostles not to dominate but to serve. I do think, though, that despite my reluctance to rebuke others, I made all the necessary decisions it's good to keep that in mind really that even in his own within his own life the holy father questioned whether he did he proclaimed this gospel he proclaimed christ sufficiently and admonished people when he needed to just necessarily preaching the gospel it's also being able to confront people when there is a discord with what is true and what needs to be lived out in the church which we need to be able to learn to do too it's not all um, roses as we say in terms of preaching the gospel to someone else often it requires us to help bring to their attention some some inconsistency within their own life which isn't being dealt with and the gospel's the scriptures are clear that that we have a responsibility to do that in love for other people as well so in presenting the truth to other people we need to learn our faith one of the ways we can do that is learning the we've already spoken about studying the scriptures but also in learning catechism, which is such a great gift to the Church. Being released in 1992 of the catechism, John Paul II said, This new text represents a privileged tool and a pressing invitation to an appropriate gospel formation in order to begin the new evangelization with firm conviction and apostolic foresight. Hence the urgent need for catechesis, called to break the bread of God's word thus fostering an ever-deeper understanding of it in regard to the challenges of our time. This catechesis is certainly not exhausted in merely transmitting ideas. Its task is to advance in fullness and to nourish day by day the Christian life of the faithful, young and old, so that the believer may be impregnated by the mystery of Christ and thus learn ever better to think like him, to judge like him, to act in conformity with his judgments, to hope, as he invites us to. This is a quote from Catechesi Tredenet. But we do, we do need to learn our faith so that we are formed in it and are able to present this to other people when the Holy Spirit prompts us to or when the time comes and it's necessary to do so. This study must be constantly accompanied by prayer too. Even if we're reading the catechism or studying our faith in some way, we need to be able to be conscious that it is really the Holy Spirit who's teaching us wisdom, to pray for that the gift of the Holy Spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and fortitude, knowledge, piety, the fear of the Lord. And the last point we want to make in this um, talk today is the quality of always proposing and not imposing the truth. So God himself respects the free will of man. He could at any point intervene and change things, But he has given this gift of freedom to man to exercise in the world. And we're called to imitate that also in our own relationships with other people as well. So respecting their freedom, any proclamation of the gospel is always an invitation, a proposition and not an imposition. It's really good to reflect on how good we are at doing this, especially when we're in positions of authority. Maybe we're a big sister talking to, like me, when, when I'm talking to my younger brothers and sisters. I, I can often propose the faith to lots of people and then when I'm around my brothers and sisters and they do something wrong, I find suddenly this imposing missionary comes out (laughs) and it's it's obviously part of me and it's a a, it's something that i have to be conscious of and keep taking to the lord and ask the lord to heal and to help me through but it is it's really important to think okay well maybe i can propose sometimes but there are some people who i who i just naturally i'm more inclined to be more forceful with and so we have to you know as we were talking about before take that to prayer and ask the lord to help us through that um it's another good question to ask ourselves is can I reject? If I propose things, can I handle the rejection or even just the correction of my ideas? Sometimes we impose things or we just put it out point blank because we're worried that we're going to be rejected or that the other person's not going to accept it and they might challenge us and I, I might not feel like I'm really up to that. So it's much easier for me to just either put out my truth and then walk away. Or to not even speak my truth, it remains silent out of fear. And so what we're reflecting on here is that if we believe in the power of Christ to transform us and to help us to exercise this free will, then we don't need to resort to any kind of forcefulness or fear tactics or controlling or manipulative behavior. We can see already in the world, this is so common in, in, for so many governments or people who are promoting a ideology or philosophy, there's an imposition of ideas, such as the political re- regime of communism, or there's a use of brutal force, as can be seen often in war. Sometimes the imposition of ideas comes through a silence, a manipulative silence, or of nagging, constant nagging. We think, well, if I just tell the person often enough, they'll eventually change. But this isn't respecting that person's freedom to choose. Sometimes there's a use of defamatory language, of neglect, or of denying, and of denying the rights of the other person. So we just finished this section asking the Lord really to completely transform us in all these areas where we're, we may not even be conscious that we're not doing so well. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We give you thanks, Lord, for our capacity to communicate with one another, to enter into dialogue, for the gift of relationship. And we pray, Lord, that you help us in this dialogue to affirm all that's good in the other person, to find what already unites us with them and what we share in common. Give us, Lord, the courage to speak the truth, to present the gospel. Help us always to find time, to make a priority, to find time to be formed in the faith, to grow in our relationship with you. Help us to be gentle in the way that we proclaim, but but confident in the way that we proclaim the gospel, always proposing instead of imposing. And so we ask you, Lord, as we we come to a close, we, we have at least one more talk to go, but as we come to the close, we pray, Lord, that you continue to help us to live out this way of being in the church with great courage and love. Blessed John Paul II, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to Living the Legacy with Sister Bernadette Pike. For more, go to cradio.org.au